The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. God, you are good. God, you are good to give us mortals, us humans. We who in ourselves are rebels, you have given us keys to the city. And we're not going to loot it because you have made us new. But we're going to come and rejoice in it with you forever and ever and ever. Thank you and amen. You are good. And we pray now, Lord, that as we look at your word written, that you would help us to understand in a different way maybe some of what we just sang, and that you would use it to build us up, to strengthen us, to give us direction, to help us understand, to grow us and mature us, that you would be honored. And do this now for our joy, please. Thank you. Amen. Last week's sermon questions, which are regularly printed on the back of the notes page, if you never noticed at the bottom of the back, I mentioned the claim of a particular 20th century British pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He believed that the greatest need for the Christian is for him or her to have a settled assurance of one's salvation. So if you saw that there or hear it just now, what what do you think about that? The Christian's greatest need is the assurance of her salvation. What do you think? Well, I got to say that for the longest time, I heard that sometime past, and for the longest time, I was unsure about that. Because there are lots of things in the Christian life, lots of things in the Bible that we should know that are really important. There's all kinds of doctrine. And then there are all kinds of things that we should do, the commands that we are given, so we should hear them and, and learn how to keep them and follow after him faithfully and obediently. And so you're saying that the most important thing is that I know that I'm a Christian? I'm hesitant. And we can be hesitant. That's just a guy. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe it's not quite the right way to think about it. Maybe we should qualify it and quibble a little bit. Maybe not the most important, but A, important. And we could talk about what might be the greatest important. But somewhere along the line, somebody is going to do something like point a finger and put it on the passage before us today and say, look at this. Because here, before us, we have a passage. And in fact, the whole book of 2 Timothy that's about something very important, being a faithful gospel minister. Speaking the truth in love, even amidst difficulty and hardship, of of spreading out God's word to his people and to other people so that they can come to know him and, and rest in him and rejoice in him and that he would be honored by that. Faithful gospel ministry. We saw this last week in verses 8 to 10. We started this paragraph and admittedly broke off at kind of an awkward place right in the middle of the sentence. This is so long. We didn't stop before we saw this come up in verse 8. He calls us all to join with him in suffering for the gospel. 
That was his point. He wanted us to, to step forward and, even if it's hard, embrace suffering. That's a major call of Paul's and a major call of this whole book. And so God, Paul, wants us to embrace that responsibility and wants to help us do it. And he sets that important Christian concept, being a faithful gospel minister, right directly, squarely on top of assurance of our salvation. That was, that is, assurance of salvation, was the thing that Paul says drove him into faithfully discharging this ministry. The thing. It's what it all rests on for him. And so at least for this subject, it is the most important thing for a Christian to know. I think for other things as well, but at least for this one. And that's what we're going to look at today in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at the second half of this paragraph. Again, picking up in the middle of the sentence. And I'm going to make two observations from the, from the last half of it. But because we broke in the middle, I'm going to rewind and begin reading in verse 8. But our focus is going to be on 11 and following this morning. So here's 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, the whole paragraph. Paul writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Here's where we start today. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. My deposit, literally. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 2 Timothy 1. Two observations. Here's the first. You're called to a life of faithful gospel ministry. We are called to a life of faithful gospel ministry. And I get this from a couple places in our passage, but it was also in last week's passage too, even using the very same language. So to glance back for a little bit, verse 8, we see these two phrases. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, but share in suffering for it. And his goal, you recall, was not that we just not be ashamed, but that we not let that hinder us from embracing and joining with suffering for the gospel, even if it's costly to us. This message. And what is it? Well, verses 9 and 10 explained it. Describe it as the message of God's grace, God's unearned, undeserved, kind, loving, blessing, and favor. That's what grace is. God's unearned, 
undeserved, kind blessing and favor given to us, not because we earned it, you don't earn grace, but because God decided to give it, his own purpose and grace. When? Before the ages began. Played out in time and space, of course, that's verse 10. How did Christ play out this grace? Well, he came and he abolished death and, and brought to life, brought us to life, e- eternal life that's never going to end. How did he do that? Very end of the verse, through the gospel. He didn't just decree this is what will happen. You know the gospel, right? He came, died on the cross for the sin curse due to us, death. Rose again, abolishing death. Rose again to life, bringing new life. He brought that grace to us in the gospel. That's what he did, and it's what he still does, which is why now in verse 11 he appointed Paul to talk about it. God appointed Paul, now it says, to three different roles, three different aspects of gospel ministry. We said the exact same thing in 1 Timothy, and we've talked about one of these words already, the the word apostle up in verse 1. This is unique to Paul. The word apostle means just an emissary or a delegate or a spokesperson, somebody who's given a message to carry, and that's a generic meaning. And to be an apostle of Jesus then specifically would be to be sent out by Jesus as his emissary, an eyewitness of what he said, of what he did, what was done to him. And then one who, who carries that message and spreads that message with, with the authority of the one who sent you, with the authority of Jesus. So that, that's unique to Paul. We're not like that. He has an authority to, to be that person, that spokesman, that authoritative voice in the church, such that he can say, like down in verse 13, follow the pattern, and he can say, follow the pattern that I gave you. It's different than any other preacher and teacher like me. I, I can't say follow the pattern I gave you. I have to point back to Paul, but Paul can point to himself. This is the uniqueness of being an apostle. He's appointed apostle, but also appointed as a preacher and teacher, and that's not unique. This actually gets down to all of us. A preacher. Now, we probably, in our world today, we probably think too much of that with like a capital P preacher, like I am the preacher. We all are preachers because preaching is just about proclaiming or announcing or declaring a message. And if if you put these two words together, preaching and teaching, then if you want to differentiate them, preaching probably is a little more like one way, a little more announcing, a little more declaring of something. A message that's maybe not known or not heard or not understood. And in that sense, it can be done in a pulpit, but it doesn't have to be. That's, that's an assignment to all of us to declare a message that's not known. The preacher and a teacher, one who teaches, who explains a message in all of its kind of varied nuances. 
teases out the details. And if, again, if you put these two together and differentiate them, teaching is a little more back and forth, a little more of dialogue rather than monologue, a little more explanation and give and take, a, a fleshing out of the periphery. So you, you've got a core here that's declared, and then you've got a, a surrounding connected periphery that may need to be taught and teased out, preaching and teaching. There's a lot of overlap in the two words for sure. Really, I think how we should take this is not to divide them, but to put them together and say what Paul's trying to get at is that he and then everybody else beneath him were called to some particular gospel ministry. He's got a unique role. We all have a calling to serve up the word. And however you might think of that happening, however you might serve up the word, Preaching or teaching covers it. Together, it catches it. To bring this message about what God has done, to bring it out for people so that they can hear it and understand it and apply it and believe it. Paul was appointed a preacher and a teacher, as was Timothy and me and you. All of us. Because, right, Peter will tell us that we're all supposed to be ready to give an answer for the reason that's within us, for the hope that's within us. All of us need to be able to explain that. And if somebody doesn't know it, declare it. And, and all of us, right, Jesus will say in Matthew, we're all to be going throughout the world, and as we're going, keeping in mind that what I'm about here, somehow or another, is making disciples in the nations. I might need to declare something or explain it. This is all of us. Some of us have different roles, for sure, of course, but all of us called to gospel ministry, to faithful gospel ministry. So when we say gospel ministry, we have to realize we have a standard. There is a pattern given to us that we have to, literally, it's hold, we have to keep. Sound words that we hear from Paul. So we all have to, have to refer back to Paul or another apostle, Peter, for instance. We all have to refer back and say, these are the sound words given to us. I have to hold them faithfully or related. I have to guard them, verse 14. I have a truth given to me. We have a truth given to us, and we have no permission whatsoever to modify that. To change it or soften it or make it more appealing to, to our current world or our current situation. Nor would we have permission to avoid it and talk about something else. We are sent out to, to proclaim and to explain some set, defined body of information given to us. And we don't have any freedom to change that. Which is going to be challenging, right? Because we all know that not everybody's going to like that. True. That's true. It's going to be constantly attacked and undermined. Timothy faced it within his own church. Certainly the world all around is going to oppose it. 
And actually, we ourselves, ironically, even we ourselves, we've got something inside of us that's constantly kind of bubbling up, I think usually rather subtly, that's kind of a temptation to pull us off, to, to kind of incline us to say, that's, that's good, but what else? And to depart. Not, not to reject, just to kind of leave off. We're not keeping, but setting aside. That's constantly out there. We're called to faithful gospel ministry. This is important because if you see the whole flow of the paragraph, this is how God saves. It's it's what he does to complete the work that he began eternity past. He, He set a calling on people. He summoned us to it. How? By people like you and me. Faithfully serving up the gospel message. I'm here because of a guy named Al. No Superman, just a guy named Al from Georgia of all places. Who proclaimed to me this message in the fourth floor lounge in Weston Hall at the University of Illinois, January of my freshman year in college. And then came to my dorm room week after week after week to teach it to me. As I bantered back and forth and said, well, what about, but what about, but what about? And he faithfully held to the message because he always said, this is, this is a, a tremendous lesson for me to learn from the very beginning as a Christian. I said, but what about? He said, I don't know. What do you think about, glance at, and he gave me a page number because I couldn't navigate my Bible by chapter and verse. Give me a page number. Check that out right there on page 926, the third verse. And what does that say? Huh, okay. But what about, as he teaches, as he teaches me, faithfully keeping to the word, never saying, that's a great question. I don't know, what do I think about that? And always saying, what does God think about that? Take a look, Steve. A guy named Al. See yourself, so this is is a call on your life. This This is what God's calling you to. And see yourself right in this spot. Take out Al, put in you. And understand, Eternity past, God, verse 9, put grace on me and summoned me to, to a calling. Al had no idea of that. He picked up the card on which I had written my name and dialed my phone number. We had phones back in that day on desks. <laughs> dialed my phone number and it rang like a real ring, a ringer. It rang, and I picked it up and answered. And we met down in the lounge. He had no idea that before eternity passed, God had put something on me. But he's how God finished off his pursuit of me. And God wants to use you in that very, very, very same process so that years from now, somebody can say, it's because a guy named Bill, a, guy, a gal named Sally, That's why I'm here. This is a great privilege. It's a job. It's an assignment. Yeah, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. An eternal work of God you're a part of.
How amazing. That's an awesome privilege. But we cannot step into that privilege and enjoy the privilege of sharing in the work of the Savior who himself embraced suffering and the work of Paul who embraced suffering and the work of Timothy and everybody before us who has embraced suffering and been willing to pay a cost. We cannot step into that if there isn't something beneath it that gives us hope and builds us up. That's where we're going in a minute. Before we get there, like, how, how do I do that? Before we get there, I've got to pause on one more thing here in this verse, this passage. Because this is kind of interesting, I think. I carefully wrote, we are called to lives of faithful gospel ministry. The, the life part, because I want to catch something I think is, is important for us to consider. We can easily hear what I just said and we can think truth, God's word, preach, teach, go, guard, keep, hold tight to the truth. And it can sound very much like information and doctrine and instruction and teaching and a whole lot about the head and it can become maybe a little bit preachy and a little bit frankly off-putting because we're all about some information maybe you've met some Christians like that I think that not, not here, out there, other Christians can be like this sometimes. And I think sometimes non-Christians bump into Christians like that and something smells a little off. This has been me. It seems to the non-Christian bumping into some Christian like this, maybe me in different times, you know, you seem a little desperate and a little defensive and a little argumentative while talking about how a person should have faith in a great, big, sovereign God who reigns. And you seem a little harsh and a little selfish and a little angry well, arguing with me about a generous God of grace and love. Your lips are moving, but your life is speaking much more loudly. And I'm not sure. Which is why I think verse 13 says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Faith and love. Paul's talked about this consistently. Faith lived out as love. We must keep to the doctrine. We must keep the words for sure. I'm, I'm not backing off of that. But we have to keep to it in a way that also is, is the life that matches it. The life that is a life that is based on and displays I have a trust in someone else. 
And that then means I have a love for you. Here's my life. Here's, here's the words, and here's my life. A generous life of love towards you. Not a life that just majors in the truth, but like Jesus, is full of grace and truth. Both. Both of those have to go together. Faithful gospel ministry is a life of faith and love, and also a life that keeps the doctrine true. That has to be the case. And frankly, that was one of the things that finally in the end caught me in the life of the guy named Al. Is that I got around his marriage. Not just his kindness to me, but I saw him and his wife and how he was with other people, and I thought, that's interesting. That's different. Hmm. Maybe there's something about these truths that makes something come about. Huh. That caught me. And so we need to pay attention to that. We're, we're called to a life of faithful gospel ministry, and we can't just focus on the faithful gospel ministry part. We also have to focus on the life part, a life of faith and love. Okay, so that's the call to us in this paragraph. That's, and that's the call to us in this book. That's, that's a major call in the Christian life. And now here's the part where, look what it's set on top of. Squarely on top of something. Here's the second point. Courage for faithful gospel ministry comes from spirit-given assurance of salvation. Courage for faithful gospel ministry comes from spirit-given assurance of salvation. Beginning of verse 12, Paul acknowledges that gospel ministry brings him suffering, yet he perseveres in that, not ashamed like he wanted us to be, not ashamed but persevering. So how does he do that? This is really helpful for us to see. Really helpful. If we want to be freed from being controlled by fear. I'm not saying not, not be afraid. We're all going to be afraid of being controlled by fear. In this or, or in, in really in anything else that's in the Bible that, that we're called to be and do, it's necessary but not easy. This may be the most important thing for us to know if Lloyd-Jones is right. Even if he isn't, we're going to stick to this context. It's, it's right here at the core of what drove, on, drove Paul onward. Part of the answer is in last week, verses 9 and 10. How, how do I persevere in this? Part of the answer is in last week. I look back at the gospel and see what it is. I see what, what God has done to put grace on me, to put grace on me before eternity passed, and then to pursue me down through the corridors of time, and then to catch me, verse 10, to, to save me in the events of the gospel and in the message of the gospel. So he, indeed, I look back and I see I've been pursued by God in sovereign, saving grace. That's part of the answer. But there's more here in verse 12. As Paul says, look, look at this. Behold, he puts something forward. says, look at this. Not just the sovereign, saving grace, but the keeping, preserving grace of God. God is the great fisher of men, fisher of men or women, but he is not into catch and release. He chases us, he catches us, 
and he keeps us forever. Middle of the verse. I am not ashamed. I don't shrink back because for I know whom I have believed. Settled. I know him whom I have believed. Relationally, I'm, I'm tight with him, with the God who is. Paul sang about him in the end of 1 Timothy. He's the one who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, and I know him. Settled. And I'm convinced of something. I'm persuaded. Again, grammatically, this is certain. Settled point. I know for certain, not I'm learning about him, and I know the one I believed in, I'm convinced of, not I'm, I'm being persuaded it has happened. And literally, he says, I have been convinced. Which should make us ask, have been convinced by whom? We'll come back to that. I have been convinced beyond a shadow of doubt so that I don't wonder anymore. I have full assurance of what? That he, this one I know, is able to guard my deposit until that day. Until the end. Until he comes and sets the whole world right and rescues his people, settled, he will guard. He will keep my deposit until the end, certain. That's the point. What about this, my deposit here? The footnote of the ESV translation, or if you're reading an NIV or an NAS, it makes clear. The my deposit is what I've entrusted to him. Some, some, some have connected it down to the deposit mentioned again in verse 14, but that misses the point. In verse 14, I'm the one who guards the deposit given to me. Here, God's the one who guards my deposit with him. And that's the foundation of it all. And it's at this point right here that I, the one speaking here, the, the preacher say, and here I'm right about at the end of my abilities. Because I just explained the words of the passage and now have bumped up against what I can't do. I can't convince you of this. And I can't make it matter. But this is the issue for us. So think about for a second, if you were convinced of this, and if it did matter, and why might it be the most important thing? So I'm, 
I'm not saying you are convinced this is the most important thing yet, but what, what if it was? This, this actually, what you find here is that this addresses the core problem that's behind every bit of our, of our fear and every bit of our hesitancy and every bit of our drawing back. We think, we fear that if I step out and give or do or risk, then something's going to happen. I put myself out there. I entrust myself out there. I, I step into this, this net, and if it's all a sham, I'm hosed. If I step out there and say, okay, God, I, I see what you call me to there. I'll follow you. I'll, I'll step out. I'll preach, teach. I'll, I'll live in a certain, and it, and it all is empty, and I'm abandoned, and he's unfaithful or devious or fickle, and it's I don't have anything else, and I just gave it all away. That's what's going on and behind all of our fears and all of our uncertainties, and really it's behind all of our, our sorrows and depressions too, the suspicion that, yeah, and that is the case. I am hosed. I am empty. I am abandoned. I am forsaken. I have nothing. And seeing that, I want to shrink back and say, no, 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 no. And Paul says, Christian, come here and soak in the glory of this. Come here. I'm convinced that he will not drop the ball with me. He will not leave me nor forsake me. He can't. He did not catch me only to release me back into the world. He will never turn away. This is my hope. This is his promise to me that he will hold me and carry me all the way into the fullness of glory forevermore. And in every step of the way, all down that path, the only thing that comes to me, I stand in grace. That's all that he gives me. That's what I'm convinced of. Will you be convinced of that too? This is the antidote to your fear. This is what you need. But I can't do it. Who did convince him then? He says, I have been convinced. By whom? Why is this paragraph bracketed front and back by the Holy Spirit? Verse 7. The spirit that lives in us of power and love and self-control. And how do we keep this, this, got, this, keep and guard this good deposit? By the spirit who dwells within us. Front and back, the bracket around this is, I can't do this. No preacher can do this. No book can do this. God the Holy Spirit is the only one. And that's actually job one for God the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Is to convince you that you are his forever. God the Holy Spirit, job one for him is to shine a gigantic spotlight on Jesus in your heart to show you something that you know but you don't see and to draw your, your attention back and to say, "Would you behold, you were placed in Christ before eternity passed and let me show you something now. Let me show you this Christ come for you. This Jesus raised for new life from the dead. This Jesus ascended into heaven where he reigns. This Jesus who's 
even perhaps as we speak, who is readying his return to come and rescue you. Can you see it in the future ahead? This Jesus grabbing hold of you and pulling you close to him so that you feel him and you smell him and you're gathered together into a warm embrace that is home for you. You know all that, but you don't see it. And so God so graciously, so kindly causes the Spirit of God to dwell in you and job one for him is to say, Behold! This good God for you. Convinced of that, that that's the true story in the world right now. That's what chases out fear and gives you courage and gives you power and love for others and joy and peace and patience utterly convinced of your security in the hand of this Savior and utterly convinced that the grace that he gave you before time began, the grace in which he saved you, is going to be the grace present today and tomorrow and the next day and that as you step forward in the future, what he meets you with is always and only Christian grace. Be convinced of that and here I am powerless because I can't convince you. May God the Holy Spirit convince you of that. I, I doubt that it is, it is not common for Christians to doubt that, to object to what I was just saying, to resist it. May God convince you of it. And for your part, may you take up the tool that he often uses to convince the scriptures. And may you say to him, I, help, Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. The Bible is full of us moving towards God in helplessness. And him answering. It's under all kinds of words like wait on the Lord. That's a command. Wait. But it also says that I can't do what I'm looking for. Come. Cry out. The privilege provided for you, Christian, is the certainty that your life is now and forever secure in his hands. You will never be forsaken. The son was forsaken so that you would not be. Believe that. You will never be sent away from his presence and you will never experience from him curse. Never. Jesus did so that you would not ever Ever believe that. God looks on you, Christian, now even when you sin, even when you sin, like a good parent looks on a child with a smile. I don't like that, but I love you. And in love for you, I'm going to move towards incorrect, but in love for you, in love for you, always he looks on you, Christian, because of Christ, with a smile. He turned away from the Father, 
the Father turned away from the Son so that he would never turn away from you. Believe that. These things are true for you. They are true of you, Christian. Are you utterly convinced of them? Take captive the thoughts that say otherwise and submit them to the truth and ask God to do what you cannot do. Convince me. Convince me. Show me Jesus, please. This is the antidote to being ruled by fear and controlled by sorrows. It's the courage to persevere into difficulties. May God convince you and me and us. You are saved. No, I mean it. You are. And that means that every moment of this life, you stand in grace. No, I mean it. You do. I think this is the most important thing for us to know. And it certainly is the most important thing for Paul to know in pursuing faithful gospel ministry. It gives us courage. And I think it gives us everything else too. Christian, be convinced of this. You belong to him forever. Let me pray. Lord, please convince us. Convince us, of course, beyond the intellectual. Convince us to the lived out emotional. Convince us in the heart, not just the head. By your spirit, please do that and grow in us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Seeing that you have first loved us, make us those kinds of people, please. We're all in a lot of different places, Lord. Some of us are in in much deeper troughs than others. Some of us will be tomorrow and don't yet know it. Please draw near and minister to us, your people. Speak in power into whatever the particular circumstance and situation is and convince us. We trust this to you, Lord, and ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 
84121.